Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus, um, we often make a distinction, don't we, between what is spiritual and what is material, what is earthly and what is heavenly, what is temporal and what is eternal. And it's really only believers that make this distinction, right? Unbelievers don't because unbelievers can't. They're not believers. We believers make this distinction between what's spiritual and what's earthly because the Bible does make this distinction also. And not coincidentally, but over the last several weeks, we've had a number of illustrations of this. Uh, more than a month ago, uh, the gospel lesson was the story of Mary and Martha. Remember, Martha worried about many things, but Jesus told her, one thing is needful. And then a week or two after that, in the New Testament lesson from Colossians, the Apostle Paul said, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. And then a couple weeks after that, and even today in the gospel acclamation, we heard those famous words that have put, been put to music, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the rest will be given to you. Okay? Um, so we make this distinction also because it's helpful for us, don't we? Earthly things, you might say, are in our face every day. Our lives are oriented around working and going to work and making payments and doing all the things that involve these earthly blessings. We want some of them. We might want all of them. We even can be tempted to think that money, material, blessings, can help provide the comfort, the security, the joy that only God can really provide for us. But it's true, God created our physical bodies. He created and he gives us many material blessings. He's created all things in nature for our good. He pres preserves our life. He provides things for us. God gives us the ability to work. Gave Adam meaningful work to do even before sin was in the world. And so even though it's good to make this distinction and think about things that are spiritual and things that are material, and we do make that distinction, but we wouldn't want to say that all things material are evil. In fact, remember in the second lesson from 1 Timothy, did you hear that? The root of all evil. Paul didn't say it was money. It was the love of money, right? And so money or work, profit, business, whatever, none of that is evil. Today's lesson and the gospel lesson that we already looked at is one more hard truth, and maybe it's the hardest of them all. It's hard maybe to understand because of 
how Jesus told the parable. It's also hard to apply. It comes right after Luke chapter 15. So if you remember in that chapter, the previous chapter, there are these three parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, both of those you heard last Sunday uh, in the gospel lesson. And then there's also the lost son or the prodigal son, right? And so all three of these parables, they kind of deal with something that's lost. But there's also a little thread through them of money or wanting things, right? Um, so Jesus continues to talk uh, about money, as we mentioned, the thing that he most talked about in all of his ministry. And he continues to use parables. His disciple, from verse 1 in the gospel today, we heard that he turned to his disciples. So he was talking to his disciples. But later in the verses after the gospel, we know that the Pharisees were still there listening and, in fact, would have criticism for him. So we give attention to Jesus' words today as believers. Think about the details of the parable that he told. Think about the meaning of it. And we think about applying that to our lives in the use of our money, material possession, their usefulness, our attitude. Not as something secular, but even our, what we call material blessing, we look at it in a spiritual way as Jesus leads us through. So, we take a look at this parable. You remember from, we just heard it a minute ago. There was this rich man. He was so rich that he had to have a manager, an administrator, to take care of all of his stuff. And this was not a good or a faithful manager. He seemed to be not really the best because what happened? He wasn't really stealing at the beginning. He was just wasting what the owner had, okay? So maybe he was incompetent, maybe, I don't know. Whatever, he was wasting, kind of like the prodigal son. In fact, it's the same word that's used about the prodigal son who wasted it all. It's the same word that's used here. And so when he found out about it, the owner confronted him. He fired him, you know, and he asked him to clean out his desk, turn in his keys, um, Turn in the books. You know, he probably had this little financial ledger or whatever. You're going to have to turn in the books. And uh, he already had his mind made up. There's no interviews. There's no witnesses, nothing. He didn't check around. He didn't, he, his mind was made up. And in fact, the manager didn't even have an argument and make any kind of a defense. But he did have a chance to just go away before he turned in the books. And he just was by himself, and he said, now what will I do? Considered the situation, and seemed like he had two options, obviously. Dig or beg. <laughs> and he said, I'm too weak to dig or any manual labor, and I'm too proud to beg, and so really, what should I do? And then he figured, I know what I'll do. And so he carefully and quickly and very purposefully took that ledger book, and he went to his boss's client, right? 
Two of them are mentioned, but it says that he went to all of them. But in the first one, he asked him, how much do you owe? And he cut the bill in half, 50%. And then he talked to the other one, what do you owe? And he cut it by 20%, down to 80. All right? And by making this little, now I'm saying little, but this little adjustment, because there's one little thing in the paper, but it was significant in the amount of money that was being forgiven, right? But just by making this little change in their account, he gained friends for himself that might help him in the future because they would be thankful to him. They would be indebted to him. And so he was happy, and these clients were happy, but what about the owner? And that's kind of where the hard part comes, right? Because Jesus is telling, and just imagine if that happened today. Or imagine if, that, if you were the owner and had somebody who did that. You found out, you fired, you asked for an accounting, and then he went and did that. And the, Jesus describes the reaction of this owner. He didn't get disgusted at this dirty, double-crossing scoundrel who first kind of wasted away a bunch of his money and then, on purpose, on top of that, went and gave away some other money just for his own benefit in the future. And this owner, like, right, how would you react? Call the police? <laughs> I mean... Have him thrown in jail? How did the owner react? He praised the man. Not because he was dishonest, which he was, but that wouldn't be worthy of praise. And not because he, honest, he was honest, he wasn't honest. But why did he praise him? Because he had acted What's the word? Shrewdly. Because he acted shrewdly. The owner would have said, finally, he's managing well. <laughs> not honest, not morally, but finally he's taking what's under his control and what's within his care, and he's managing it just like a manager should do. And that's why it's kind of difficult, right? At first glance, it seems like, what is Jesus doing? He's like encouraging dishonesty or corruption or fraud. In fact, a lot of commentators, you know, they try to go to great lengths and figure, how, do you, how can you possibly explain this? But maybe it's just simple, simple as this. Jesus here isn't teaching about honesty with this parable. He's teaching about administration. Honesty for Christians, honesty is part of it, right? And in fact, there's a commandment for that, the seventh commandment, you shall not steal. Okay? So that's clear and that's obvious. But Jesus here is kind of using the element of surprise, isn't he? He's kind of doing something a little different to make us think, both his disciples and the Pharisees, who were unbelievers, to think about it. Saying, be 
a manager of what you have been given to you to use and use it shrewdly for what's personally and really eternally important. That's why Jesus said, remember, for the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of the light are. Children of the world would be unbelievers. The children of the light are believers. And so <laughs> Jesus almost is encouraging us to imitate unbelievers, but not in their dishonesty, not in their unbelief, not in what is sinful. I tell you, he said, make friends for yourself with worldly wealth so that when it runs out, they will welcome you into the eternal dwelling. I don't know if some of you remember the older translation for uh, earthly wealth. It's a word, kind of old word, mammon. Mammon, like earthly wealth. Why? And why is there a special word like that? Just for the very point that we mentioned, even with the children, it's so easy for earthly wealth to become personalized, to become a God for us to trust and think about and want that above all things. All of us are administrators. We've been entrusted with much. But all of it is temporary. In fact, all three lessons talked about that. We brought nothing into this world. We will take nothing away. What shall I do now was the question of the manager. And it's a good question for us. God blesses us, has blessed us in many ways to provide for ourselves and family, no doubt, to be able to support things like pay our taxes and to give to the poor. But God also gives us many blessings for what we might call spiritual, heavenly goals. Goals that are eternal. And he says, be shrewd, be creative, be determined in that too. And if that dishonest manager was shrewd enough to use wealth to make friends and ensure his own future, right, for his own well-being, what about us? Are we shrewd, as Jesus encourages us, are we shrewd enough in our faith to do everything possible to ensure an eternal home not just for us, but also for many others. What would be some heavenly goal for us who are here this morning? I want to let you think about it for just five seconds. What would be some heavenly goal for the blessings that God has given all of us? We'd start with our own soul, right? Getting to heaven, the soul, the future of our children and our grandchildren, and the, the hope and the desire, just as God wants them to be in heaven with all of us, 
that would be a heavenly goal? The future of the congregation? Is that a heavenly goal? The future of the Christian church in this world? Wouldn't that be a heavenly goal? And wouldn't God call us and use the offering that Christians throughout the world, uh, here and there and everywhere, using that for the salvation of souls and our support of that? How rich are we? Aren't we, I should say. How, how much God has blessed us, how rich we are, what a difference we can make as we look at our material blessings and say, they're material, but they can do a lot spiritually by how we use it. And we have a good reason to do that, to use the wealth, the blessings that God has given us as tools in his kingdom, as administrators for his goal. We have a good reason to do that. Why? Because Jesus was a good and faithful and perfect manager of what his heavenly father gave him. And Jesus carried out the administration of the goal before, which was our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus didn't come and say, cancel half of our debt of sin. Jesus didn't come and even make it 80%. Jesus came and through his suffering and death canceled our entire debt of sin to give us exactly what he's talking about, a heavenly dwelling for us and for all people through faith. And our administration of his blessing is our thank you to him. Now, to be clear, sort of at the end of these verses, Jesus kind of talked about being faithful. It's almost like he wanted to make sure, hey, don't anybody misunderstand. Honesty, faithfulness, loving God, serving God, those are important, right? And in fact, it leads to that grand finale that we heard at the end. You can't serve two masters. You love the one, hate the other. Despise the one and get along with the other. And I think you don't have to be a Bible-believing and a faithful Christian to know that serving money isn't worth it. And none of us, in my over 30 years of ministry, I have never heard anyone say to me, Pastor, um, I've come to a decision I've decided that instead of serving God, my Savior, I've decided to serve money. Nobody has ever told me that. But we do sometimes try to serve both. And I think that's why Jesus is speaking the way he does here. We would never decide to stop serving God He has earned our confidence, our faith, our lives, but we are tempted. Trust, fear, and to love the very things that God has given us for his purposes, right? So that's why we appreciate the distinction. That's why we appreciate Jesus' teaching, and that's why we respond by saying, yes, Lord, what shall I do now? Serve you. Not serve money. 
but serve you. And because serving money is slavery, so precious. And eventually it'll take away every good thing from God. On the other hand, serving God is glorious and joyful and restful and rewarding. You know, I didn't choose to preach on this section of the Bible um, for the purpose of talking about offerings. I don't even necessarily want to talk about offerings. And Jesus didn't teach this parable because God needs anything from us. It's all God's right now, always has been. But he does challenge us, us with these words in our administration of the blessing that he has given us so that we come to the same conclusion. What better use of what God has given us than spiritual goal? So that one day when all of this is gone, we might be in heaven, place of eternal joy and hundreds and thousands times better than any material blessing that there could be on earth. I don't know um, if you ever, I mean, I'm, I do know, I think we all come to a point someday when we think about it, uh, Solomon talked about it a little bit. You ever think, like, why all this work? What am I working for? Why all this? Even when we get the things that we hope for and we want and we reach goals that we might have in the material sense, sometimes once we get them, don't they kind of, don't we ever, aren't we ever tempted to say, really, was it worth it? Jesus encourages us that when we invest in his goal, it's worth it. It's not an easy saying. It's one of his hard sayings. But it's worth it. Is money important? No. Is money important? Yes. Think about what it can do. Think about what Jesus puts before us. Think of how it can accomplish spiritual goals. In view of eternity, in other words, since there is an eternity, since there is a judgment day, since Jesus came to win for all people salvation, but the way to heaven is only through Jesus and through faith in Jesus, then we who have faith in Jesus, let us respond to his parable here. Do everything possible, creatively, shrewdly, with what God has given us. Not just that, with our mouths, with our relationship, to help others reach heaven with us, where there will be rejoicing and perfection, and we will be in the presence of God forever. Be prudent, be wise, be shrewd, but also be faithful, whether rich or poor, whether we have a lot or a little. Invest for the future, but the one that Jesus points to. Future in heaven, yours and that of others. Serve God with your money is his message to us. Amen.
And may the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, may keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.